0: Let's go to, right to the focus verse, verse 31. Actually, let's go to 29. Then say amen when you have it, or somebody on the screen, or something like that. Praise God. He's working on it. Verse 29, Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, And the king went up unto the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul. To perform the words of the covenant which were written in this book. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Our lesson today is titled, Building on God's Word. Building on God's Word. They are largely unseen, being most of them underground. No one photographs them. No one preserves a record of its beauty. But if anyone doubt the essentiality foundations, they would only need to speak of one of the hundreds of residents of a Millennium Tower in San Francisco. The Millennium Tower opened in 2008 with grand expectations. At 58 stories, 645 feet tall, with spectacular panoramic views of San Francisco Bay, the uppity-ups, the bougie people, went to live there. The city dwellers of San Francisco moved into the Millennium Tower for the comfort and the pleasure and the average owner was considered. The building features an indoor pool, a fitness center, a theater, a wine cellar, and a, a full concierge service. I don't know exactly what that means. Concierge. They. Those letters aren't in there. Praise the Lord. It was bougie. <laughs> the San Francisco Chronicle reported that the ownership group sold over $100 million worth of condos, raging in the price of $1.6 to over $10 million in just the first five weeks after the sales office opened. Yes, the building has everything, everything except a solid foundation. Beginning in 2015, the Millennium Tower began to sink. By 2018, it had settled over 17 inches. and had tilted 14 inches. It was turning into the tower, leaning tower of Pisa. Right in the middle of San Francisco. But once over, uh, it had tilted over 14 inches. Even after being, being declared safe for occupancy, being 14 inches tilted, I don't know exactly how you're going to do that all your furniture would fall off the owners departed in droves over 100 condos sold in 2017 at an average loss of $320,000 why were the accommodations why weren't the amenities all the same were the accommodation all still not luxurious of course but suddenly the supplies and the standards we're at a whole new level, because no matter how nice you could get it, it still tilted fourteen inches. So it is with life. One's foundation, though generally dug out in fashion absence, absent the public eye, matters more than the uh, the uh, extreme um, amenities and the extreme. Uh, niceness of a place the extreme services of a place it does not matter how nice something is on the outside if the foundation is not secure it is one of the most useless things in our lives what affords an unshakable unsinking footing in a world of uncertainty and insecurity the answer is singular such a foundation we have to find that's not tilting, that's not going to tilt 14 inches in 10 years, must be found in the obedience to the unchanging Word of God. Children of God must have a conscience and an intentional decision to build their lives upon this foundation. Every decision must be shaped by the principle of God's Word. Every priority must be defined by it. Every fact of life must be governed by it. In doing so, we ensure our lives will not bad, bear the sad outcome of the Millennium Tower, slowly sinking and off-center. We move to our passage today and find that Joash, one of the youngest kings of Israel, was trying to rebuild the temple. His father had not lived for the Lord. His His grandfather had not lived for the Lord, but... In his lineage was the King of David. In his lineage was the King Solomon. He knew he had a rich heritage. And he was rebuilding the temple and fixing it up and doing a cleaning day. And one of the priests found a scroll. One of the priests found, it's most likely to believe, the whole book of Deuteronomy. And... They brought it to the king and said, Hey, we found this. Why don't and, and the and the king said, Okay, that's my new bedtime story. I want to learn the history. I want to know more about what was found in the temple. So as as the priest was reading the reading the scroll and reading the the account of Deuteronomy. Joash realized where he had gone astray. He had realized his father and his grandfather had not followed the law at all. And uh, that's where we find the passage of chapter, uh, chapter 34, verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders and Jew, uh, of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, the Levites, and all the people great and small. And he read in their ears all the words that of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And the co- king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. He was starting on a fresh but old foundation. He had realized that his descendants, or his, not his descendants, but his ancestors had were stepping on something that was way firmer than he was on at the present. He had realized that his ancestors had built something and had learned something from the Lord that was way sure and wasn't tilting 14 inches off center. When um, the priest went into the uh, treasury to retrieve the funds, he made a startling discovery. He located what the Bible calls the book of the law. That's uh, that's Deuteronomy. Many many scholars accept that this is most likely the Torah or the portion of it. Perhaps, Perhaps we know as the book of Deuteronomy. The fact that the document was as significantly as the one would have been lost among the many items in the treasury only testifies to the lack of regard for spiritual things in the hearts of the people. The drastic departure from righteous paths should be no great surprise given their disregard for the word of God. uh, Josiah, Josiah realized that his ancestors had fallen away from God he knew the original foundation but he also realized that his ancestors had strayed far far from it given the disregard of the law jo- uh, jo- uh, jo- josiah there we go josiah was convicted because of God's word Upon hearing this record of God's word, King Josiah was immediately smitten. And the Bible records that he rent his clothes, which was common culture for the expression of dismay. He was terribly grieved by the contrast between what he had heard about the nation that he should be living in and what he observed around him. This disparity produced conviction in him. Conviction is one of the greatest friends of a child of God. The word simply means convincing. When one is convicted of the truth of God's word and sees the gap between the ideal and the reality of life, then a pure heart will be smitten by that. The submitted child of God will be driven to make substantive changes in life to reflect more properly the values and the principles Found in God's word. If I had been living my whole life. And I was submitted to my pastor. Submitted to everything that I could. And then I learned about this certain thing in the Bible. That I had never observed before. That I had never seen before. I hopefully. And, I, and in my heart of hearts believe if my pastor is teaching it and showing it in God's Word, that I am seeing it in God's Word, that I will make every action and every effort to be able to make sure I change my ways to be able to follow that rule, to be able to follow that principle. If there is something that is brought out in the Word that stays aligned with everything I learned from the Word of God, I will make... Every effort to be able to say, wait a minute. What I have, what the difference between the ideal and the reality of life is very different for me. The ideal is the word of God. The ideal and perfect life is following every word that is written in this book. But the reality of life is there's sinners out there that is not living the book. There is people with pure hearts, Pastor. There's people with good hearts out there that are not living every word of this book. And and we say they just don't want it. They They just can't see it. And we're writing them off way too soon. But if we show them with a word, yeah. conviction will fall, just like it fell on me. Right. Conviction will fall and they will say, okay, what must I do to be saved? That's right. That's right. What must I do to be saved? We must allow God's word to convict us. Yes. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We want to have his Perfect wheel in our lives. Praise the Lord. Brother Justin, come finish this last, this last part of this lesson.
1: Praise the Lord. I'm gonna reread a piece that he read. Conviction is one of the greatest friends of a child of God. Wow. What a what a wonderful thought process that is. How many likes to be convicted? No no takers today, huh? Now we're saying, everybody just said amen. That's my greatest friend. But when I ask you if you wanted to be convicted, no one wanted to take us up on the offer. So my greatest friend is something I don't want to be involved in. How many have been convicted? It hurts though. Because that means we have to do something different. We have to change, and we have to adapt our, our lifestyles when we are convicted. And it is a, it is a great friend. There's, a, there's an old saying, friends don't let friends drive drunk. A real friend will say, no, we're not allowing that. A real friend says, no, you can't get behind the wheel today. An acquaintance or somebody we know will just turn the blinded eye and let you go on about your business. But a real friend, Brother Jace, will break the word open and say, This is what the word says. This this is the truth of the word, even though they may convict, even though it may hurt, a real friend will tell you the truth. Amen. How many times have you been in that situation when you know or you knew the right answer and you knew the right way, but you were Afraid of hurting someone's feelings, and you omitted really getting down to the truth of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's convicting there, isn't it? It is for me today. I had the opportunity. I just didn't want to hurt their feelings, though. I was afraid I might lose a friend. Hmm there's some wisdom that we have to apply. We don't have to be rude. I know the Bible is a two-edged sword and it's very sharp and it doesn't mean we go about chopping people's heads off. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all, but for me to apply it to myself, I need I need it pure. I need it I need it sharp. Some things that sometimes attach themselves to me that have to be trimmed back. Mm. Amen, amen. I need that word. Conviction is one of the greatest friends of a child of God. The conviction that smote King Josiah's heart by reading of the book of the law and the promise of God's judgment for their disobedience found therein compelled him to commission a group of trusted men to inquire of the Lord. To do so, these men made their way to a prophetess in Jerusalem named Huldah. She gave a clear word to the king through these emissaries, addressing both what was soon to come on the kingdom and him personally. It went to the lady, the prophetess, and said, hey, I need, I need to know some truths here. Man, they got some. I, I have found myself there before in life and Most of the time in life, I know what I need to do, but I'm just going to keep praying and say, God, are you sure, 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 sure this time? i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to listen, and Brother Moses is going to bring the word, and then I'm going to say, I didn't like that either, God. (laughs) That's the same answer I've been hearing, and I want to hear something different. Mm. She addressed clearly what was to come on the kingdom and then on him personally, The prophetess told them, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah. That's 2 Chronicles 34. She pointedly told the delegation sent from Josiah that God would be thorough in his performance. Every curse found in the book That was read to the king would come to pass. Whew, that's tough stuff. Mm. Such a fearsome and wrathful God is not acceptable in this modern culture. We don't like to think about God in that manner, do we? He's merciful, He's gracious, He's wonderful. That's all I want to think about. That's the piece that I like to hear. Don't tell me about the other part. Mm. Certainly his mercy endures forever, and without question he is gracious and slow to anger. Still we must never lose sight of the truth that God is fiercely protective of his word fiercely protective of his word. Nothing it says will ever fail. So when it declares that sin will be dealt with, we know sin will be dealt with. God's character is the guarantee behind every word he has spoken. The word is truth. Whether it fits my agenda or not. The word is truth whether I like it or not. Whether it makes me feel good or not. Whether it's pleasant to my ears or not. It is still truth. Amen. The Lord has a way of backing up his word. His whole character is built on the truth of the word. If the word is not true, then God is not true. His word is true today. Amen. It really has nothing to do with me whether I agree, disagree. My emotions have nothing to do with whether the word is true or not. Amen. My opinion don't really matter. Mm, It's still true. When Josiah heard the report of the prophetess' words, he was compelled to action. He immediately gathered all the elders of the land and the priests and the Levites and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem together and read the same words to them from the book of the law. He confronted the people with the truths that had confronted him. Then in the sight of all the people gathered that day, Josiah made a covenant with the Lord that he would obey every commandment and would serve God with his whole heart. Such should always be the response of every heart convicted by God's word. You know, as we come to the house of the Lord, and I've seen it many times, and I've been there before, the Lord's word goes forth, and there's that convicting power that we feel And then it's a unique place that we have for these altars. They're right out in front. It seems to be easier for me if they would have been in the back, and I could have just got up and went back there where no one would have seen me. Still today, I find myself, and the word goes forth, and I feel convicted And it's so much easier to walk to the back of the church and feel that conviction back there where I'm kind of all by myself. But there's something to be said about turning from sin right out in the public view. I'm just not going to do that anymore. I feel you, Lord, and I know I went in error. I'm just going to walk right down, and nothing's going to stop me from kneeling my knees and really getting a hold to you like I should There's something about the corporate setting of us making that step. I'm not sitting here saying that our pride says it's easy, but it's pride nonetheless. If we were doing it humility, it wouldn't really matter where they were located. But that old pride, that old flesh, mm. but Josiah said, you know what, I want everybody to know we, we've messed up, and we've headed down the wrong road, if you will, but from this day forth, I'm going to live for the Lord with my whole heart. With every fiber of me, I'm going to lead this nation that way. I'm going to live that way, and there's some things that we're going to get right, and there's some things that we're going to tear down, and there's some, there's some things that we're going to get rid of. Mm. Amen. Amen. What a, what a confession that day. What a declaration to make. I need to make that declaration over and over again. Amen. His mercy is new every morning. And every morning I need to declare again, Lord, today I'm going to live for you with my whole heart. I'm going to give you my all. Thank you for giving me more mercy. But I need to recommit myself to you. Uh, just like I said last Sunday, love is an action. We got to do something. It takes commitment. And to commit, I got to do something. It just don't happen. There's a part that I must play. Many of us undoubtedly stand today where Josiah did on that day. In fact, all of us do to one degree or another. We are routinely confronted with the reality that there is a gap between the ideals of Scripture and the reality of our day-to-day existence. The Word says this, and somewhere along the day, I did that. And there's a gap. I need to be doing this, but I'm doing something else. Amen. Spiritual growth should mean that the distance between those two narrows. But as long as we reside in the imperfect flesh, it will always exist. Our effort today should be our life living according to the word of God. Mirroring it hand in hand, hand in glove if you will. Even when we make a mistake, we should clean ourselves back off and say, Okay, Lord, let me get back in your word. Let me mirror myself after you. Uh, Let me make sure I'm moving this train in the right direction, if you will. I want to observe the foundation one more time. Make sure I'm not leading 14 inches the wrong direction. Amen. How we respond to being confronted by the scripture is paramount for our long-term spiritual survival. When we observe a lack of obedience to his word in our lives, we must mirror King Josiah's willingness to repent and change if we are to grow in Christ. Often this means renewing old commitments that have fallen, casualties of misguided priorities and fleshly desires. At other times it means making new commitments to yield to what God's word has just recently spoken to us. We must repair the broken foundation and rebuild our lives on God's Word and God's Word alone. So many foundations are being built on so many things other than the Word of God today. I look at, at children today, and and as a lot of parents raise their children. With no knowledge of the word of God. And you think, What hope does this child have? Because there's no foundation. So many so many parents don't take their children to Sunday school on Sunday morning. That's old fashioned, that's out of date. Oh, but that's my foundation. I remember as a child in Sunday school and the dramatized stories that I remember today that I can go back and I know that's how I was built. I was built on that stuff and it makes me stronger. Amen. We must help our society understand what a strong foundation looks like. Building on God's word. The word build means to form. By ordering and uniting materials by gradual means into a composite whole. We're trying to reach this holistic thing one day, and when we are standing before our Creator, we're hoping that we made it and we're, and we're whole. Yeah, right. We've done it. Right. Amen. It's unique that the Webster's Dictionary would put, By gradual means. The Lord is not asking us to just go from zero to perfect. We do this along the journey. We get better every day. We get more mature, and we grow closer to Him. We should be making fewer mistakes, and we should have deeper knowledge, and the foundation should be stronger and more secure today than it was yesterday. We, we learn precepts and principles of the word, and that strengthens and hardens that foundation each and every day. It is a, it is a daily walk. It's not a one-moment, one-and-done kind of thing, but it's a daily walk with the Lord. Amen. We must keep putting one foot in front of the others. The two houses were likely comparable in size. There's no indication that one of the builders were more skilled than the other. We can assume neither was assembled from substandard construction materials. A cursory view would indicate that each was the equal of the other. Matthew 7 makes it clear they faced parallel changes. The testimony of each began with the account that rains descended and floods came And the wind blew and beat against them. Their difficulties mirrored one another. But oh, how different the outcome. One survived while the other was destroyed. One weathered the storm while the other was weathered by the storm. One weathered the storm while the other was weathered by the storm. One was a victor, the other a victim. One stood while the other suffered a great fall. Why? Why? If they were so similar in their experiences alike, what produced a different outcomes? The answer is but one word, foundation. The wise man, in verse 24, built his house upon the rock. And the foolish man, in verse 26, built it upon the sand. That one simple choice of foundation produced stability for the wise and devastation for the foolish. The best prepared walls, the most up-to-date doors, the most classy windows, 50-year shingles, hardy board that never rots on the outside. But the foundation was a lot different. One was built on the sand and the other on the rock. This morning, I want to be considered wise. Not for pride's sake do I want to be wise, but I want to be wise that I have chosen A place that is secure to put my foundation. It is upon the Word of God. The wise man built, it goes back to Sunday school. I remember the Sunday school, Jen, go right there. Y'all don't want me to sing, but the wise man built his house upon the rock. Go ahead. See it right there. Mm. It goes on and talks about the house on the sand. It it, it didn't stand. It goes back to that foundation. Some of y'all wasn't blessed like me, and you didn't have Sunday school. You didn't wasn't born and raised in 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 church, but you can still have a strong foundation. It doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter where or who or what, all that don't matter. It's about what am I going to do today? Where am I going to put down my roots today? What am I want to learn from you, God? I want to be convicted by your word. I, I want to do what you say. I, I want to walk righteously and, and humbly before you, Lord. I, I want to know your truth, oh Lord. Oh, help me today not to have my own ideas, but I want to read it and glean it from your word, oh God. I want to follow after you. Uh, Every day I want to recommit to you, oh Lord. I love you and I want to make that commitment. Uh, I want to follow after you, God. Uh, I hear your voice and I want to listen to you. Oh, help me, Lord, today. Uh, I commit to you today, God. Uh, I want my foundation upon your word, upon your truth, Upon your principles today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Built on your word. Oh, can we just stand this morning and love the Lord. We give you praise and glory.